Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Well, hey, friends. Welcome back to the Left of Straight Show. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and I'm always honored to interview celebrities and personalities from entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy, all of interest to our LGBTQ community and, of course, our straight allies. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Jonathan Lovitz in studio, a prominent advocate with a diverse background. He's run the gamut from entertainment sphere to journalism to local and national advocate. And I've been following his career for so many years and was happy to see him named as one of Out Magazine's Out 100 this year as an educator for his work in our LGBTQ and the corporate communities. Jonathan spent the better part of a decade working for the National LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. He ran for representative in Pennsylvania, founded his own company, and became a senior advisor and director of public affairs at the U.S. Economic Development Administration in the U.S. Department of Commerce for the Biden-Harris administration. All while doing it loudly and proudly as an out gay man, proud union member, and dedicated husband, he's left an indelible mark on LGBTQ activism. Jonathan's journey is a testament to the intersection of queer pride, advocacy, and political impact. I'm again honored to have him on the Left of Straight Show for the very first time. Please welcome Mr. Jonathan Lovitz. Jonathan, how you doing, sir? Oh my gosh, I am so happy to be here with you, Scott. And and as as someone who tells stories for a living, I'm so grateful for people like you that amplify all of us and help all of us reach more people with, with our positive stories. So thanks for everything you do and thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Well, back at you. Thank you. We talked off air. I've been following you on social media forever. You were kind enough to follow me. I just... You've done so much for the community. Plus, it's so fun to just watch you and your husband's exploits. You guys are travel gays as well as being uh, advocates. You guys we're are all over the place. Goodness. Goodness. Yeah, we're certainly trying. It's, uh, you know, you've got to do what you, you got. You know, Self-care for us, it manifests itself, uh, hopefully, into more vacations that involve a lot of eating. <laughs> there you go. I don't blame you one bit. 
Well, I always have first two questions I ask first uh, timers on the show. And like I said, I can't believe it's been eight years to get you on here. But for people that don't know you and follow you like I do, let them know a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? So I grew up, I was born in, in South Jersey in the Atlantic City area. I know uh, most people have visited there. They don't think of it as a place to grow up, but it's where my family's business was for several generations, which is where sort of the entrepreneurial spirit began in, in my life. Uh, my grandfather's stores, and then over the years working in my dad's stores uh, on the Atlantic City boardwalk in the summers. But really home for me was South Florida. I grew up in the Fort Lauderdale area, a great town called Coral Springs. Um, it was the first place I dabbled in the arts as a performer, the first place I really got involved in any kind of political advocacy, seeing how city government worked in a, in a few different ways. Uh, it was it was a really wonderful place. And frankly, uh, Florida is uh, the situation that it is right now. But at least for me as a gay kid in the 90s, it was pretty incredible to have that kind of support and visibility. Uh, I spent so many years of my life in and around Wilton Manors and Fort Lauderdale Beach and seeing rainbow flags and not knowing just what that would mean to my life, but seeing them exist and unquestioned, uh, I think had a very profound unspoken impact on me is certainly as I, I got older, I realized how lucky I was to have had that. Um, but it was a really special place to be. And, and uh, I am the product of terrific public schools uh, and of great community services and programs, which is why I'm such an advocate for both. Um, and I'm really lucky to have had a, a wonderful family upbringing where uh, my folks let me be who I was and figure that out on my own journey. I love that. That's so cool. And uh, we'll talk about advocacy later on, of course. But I mean, it's amazing how fast the pendulum switches from marriage equality back to where we're at today and Florida in so many places. But we'll go into that in a bit. I always like to ask everyone, we talk about kind of seeing all these, um, the visibility of the LGBTQ community down in Florida. Talk about your personal journey. When did you come out to yourself and when did you maybe start finding your own LGBTQ tribe? So uh, I... I... I think about this a lot and, and how fortunate I am that the path I'm on now you know, was laid for me so early on because I had so many great role models that I didn't even realize were role models at the time. I did a lot of kid theater and a lot of, uh, you know, especially my high school days, a lot of, of uh, school and regional theater and that sort of thing. And to have these older gay mentors around who simply by existing uh, showed me it does in fact get better. Um, was a wonderful thing. And then to know as I then went out into the world uh, in college, on national tours and things that we can talk about, you know, to meet people who didn't have that upbringing and realize just how rare and special that was, uh, was so transformative for me. I came out around 16, um, you know, took, took, a, took, took my boyfriend, uh, who was not my first high school boyfriend, to homecoming. And, and just saying that I know is such a... a uh, a special and privileged thing, certainly not the experience most people had, but it was very much the norm where I grew up in South Florida. It was so accepting. And in fact, Broward County, where I grew up, was the first place in the United States to have LGBTQ student protections. Um, and I think in no small part to some of the trailblazers who were in down in that area who lived in Wilton Manors and were a part of uh, sort of the, the, the um, you know, Southern hospitality, as it was always referred to, of, of the gay community down there being a welcoming place for those who didn't have it in the Northeast, uh, who often migrated down there. So 
to me, it was a really special thing to have that. And it, I think sort of, you know, it was hardly without uh, difficulty. There was, there was the bullying, there was all of the things that, that are expected with that, you know, serious depression and, and thoughts of suicide and the things that, that affect so many LGBTQ kids are something, are things that I felt and experienced. But I also know that, man, am I lucky to have had the resources I did, the community that cared, you know, a drama teacher that let you be yourself. Uh, all of those things that that make a a, a queer kid's life better, um, I had at my disposal. And I, I, that is one of the reasons why now working with kids and making sure wherever they are, uh, they have that support and that their, their zip code shouldn't determine how safe they feel on any given day in their lives. Uh, that's great to hear. I mean, we, we you only hear those stories few and far between. They're starting to be a little more commonplace. But like I said, it's nice when you can really yeah. have that that background yeah. of support behind you. It makes all the difference of the world, right? It does. It really does. And then, you know, it's it, it, people forget. We talk now, especially in as, as you're an adult and you're in the working world, you hear so much about bringing your whole self to work and all of the, the benefits of letting yourself not be burdened by having to hide and code switch and all these things. We don't teach that to kids and especially queer kids have to figure that out for themselves. And so being in an environment where I had so much support just by having, you know, role models and opportunity models and visible uh, signs around me uh, was so, so special. And so I, I, I'm also grateful now that kids have resources that we never had. I mean, I remember being, you know, I went to, to graduated high school in 2002 and the internet was really just becoming ubiquitous enough for everyone to be able to get on it. But even then you didn't have the resources you have now. Um, you know, whether it's it's the Trevor chat, whether it's just going on YouTube and seeing, you know, any kind of walk of life represented, we didn't have that. So when I was growing up, you had Will and Grace or Queerest Folk that you had to watch, uh, you know, secretly uh, in case anyone came in the room. And, you had, you know, and, and who were your role models then? It was Jack or Uncle Arthur. Uh, and, you know, and, and we, we didn't have the sort of ubiquitous array of, 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 you know, and spectrum of role models that we have now. And I think that definitely informed why it was so important to me to never hide in high school and college and onward because I needed that. I needed to see what I saw around me to know that there are, there that you will uh, overcome anything that's thrown at you because these guys did and they had it so much harder than I did. Right. So true and well said. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bear of a certain age where, uh, yeah, Paulin was very much and I, I still have questions about Dr. Bombay, but we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> well <laughs> Let's talk, I mean, we talk about being openly proud. You're married to love your life, husband Steve, married by Jim Obergefell, which like um, love him. We kind of have a, a kind of a coexisting thing. My very first show back in 2015 was my first guest was Kelly McCracken, who was part of that whole um, a different part of it through Ohio through her and her, her wife at the time for their daughter. Yeah. And so it's kind of a great. The people that were part behind that, I mean, thank you so much for all of that. And talk about this relationship with Jim. Among the many things that a life in public service, and particularly in, in, in all those years working in the LGBT community space, uh, has done for me is has put my heroes 
in my phone as friends. It is one of the most surreal and wonderful thing to know that, you know, to get a to get a birthday call every year from from Judy Shepard and know that, you know, Matt's mom, who is every gay American's mom, uh, calls you to check on you, you know, and that Jim uh, and Edie Windsor and and Judith, her her uh, widow and all, you know, these incredibly David Mixner, one of the great American heroes, was my neighbor in New York and also one of my dearest friends and mentors. So th this work has brought such incredible people into my life. And and so Jim, you know, was someone I met through the world of just ad of advocacy and being out there and crossing paths at galas and events and things. And he was in New York and we met up for uh, a drink and a connection, you know, out of the world of, of uh, any major event and just to be people with each other. And we have been family ever since. Um, and, and what an absolute honor and joy to have him marry us. Um, you know, the, the, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't available, there's no one better than, uh, Jim Obergefell. Um, but it really, it meant so much to have the man who helped make this possible for so many of us be there and, and have him be part of our family now. Uh, it just means the world. That is great. I, I I don't have the caliber of Rolodex you have, but I feel the same way towards our LGBT heroes. I think one of my first interviews before I was ever doing podcasts back, I think in 2005, was Judy Shepard. She's an oh. amazing person. When I was chairman of the Pride Center here in Northeast Ohio, I actually had Barney Frank come through. Oh. He was coming by to do a presentation for the local Democrat club. So I just called up his office and said, would you mind stopping by the Pride Center? He came by and was amazing. There's just so many heroes in our community. Yeah. And you're one of them, my friend. So yeah, it's, oh, it's awesome. Thank you. It, I am I am perpetually floored by the company I'm allowed to keep uh, and, and, and grateful they haven't kicked me out of these rooms just yet. But they they, they are amazing. And you know what you said about Barney Frank is, is so indicative of so many of these people. They're real people. And very few of the people who are at the forefront of advocacy set out to be that person. Um, you know, I myself am a total accidental advocacy story, and so is Jim, and so are so many others. And we we, we tripped and fell uh, into this work and wouldn't have it any other way. But, the, you know, we're just real folks, and we love what we do, and we love what we get to be a part of. And I think for a lot of us, there's the feeling of, well, if not me, then who? Uh, so, you know, why not? Why can't I be this voice? So uh, it is wonderful that, you know, you, you just reached out to Barney Frank's people and he showed up. And I think that's the way most people should do it. They shouldn't be afraid to reach out to people that mean something to them. They want to hear from you. They want to know that they've touched your life and they want to be involved in what you're doing. It's, it's how the work continues to spin forward. So reach out to the Barney Franks in your world. They, they will be there for you. Definitely. We're going to talk about that more because I think that's so important. They're so accessible nowadays through emails and through, I mean, especially people of Congress starting to have their offices, websites, and phone numbers available to everyone. So it's really easy to do. Let's take a small little left turn, though, because we got to talk about storytelling. Okay. And I think um, you maybe learned that on touring with Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And let's talk about this little acting career, my friend. You teased about it earlier in your upbringing. What was the draw to the entertainment industry? And then you went on to be a great journalist as well. 
I, I have always loved the arts, particularly musicals. You know, I'm so, so lucky, again, to grow up in a family where we went to the theater often, and especially in our summers in New Jersey, we'd go into New York every year to see Broadway shows, and we saw them at the touring houses out down by us in Florida and around the country. Um, you know, the arts were always a part of our life. And for me, uh, it was like, I think like a lot of teenagers, particularly in high school, it was a great escape. Um, you know, there, there's no better way to, to play make-believe. Uh, and, 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 you know, how wonderful when a couple hundred people want to applaud at you and, and, and make you feel good about it. So it really was something so meaningful. Um, and I was so, so fortunate. You know, I went to the University of Florida, go Gators, and studied musical theater and political science. Um, I thought right out of school, I would go right, you know, I'd, I'd hang up my tap shoes. I, I had a wonderful run doing it uh, semi-professionally and, you know, worked all through college in the theater and thought, I did it. I'm good. Now let's go be an adult and do, uh, you know, real world things. And I thought I'd go right to D.C. and begin a political and advocacy career. But right before graduation, found out I had booked a national tour with Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um I got to do uh, one of my favorite things that ever happened, which was tell uh, only one sister and my dean because I knew I'd be getting uh, an award and up on stage and they'd be doing, you know, before I got to give some remarks and they do a little intro about me. My dean said, uh, Jonathan wants me to extend a, a special apology to his family that he won't be seeing them for the next year because he just booked the national tour. And, blah, blah. and it was, you know, a total shock. I could hear my mother shriek in the in the audience of, of graduation um and far be it for me to turn you know a, a collective moment into uh something that was about me but it happened um and so we had uh you know i had this incredible time on tour both with that and then immediately went to the jesus christ superstar big anniversary national tour did a bunch of other regional shows some great off-broadway work work all over new york uh, and, and all over the country, even toward the world a bit with a few shows. It was the most incredible thing. Um, and it couldn't have happened at a more wonderful time in my life. I'm so grateful that all of that happened, that I saw so much of the country and of the world in my early 20s. Um, one, when I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and had the knees to do it, uh, but also was was spongy for the ways of the world. You know, um, I'm really, really grateful that all of that happened in, in the early early 2000s because while we had phones, they weren't all smartphones. Most of us were traveling with Nokia bricks or, you know, Blackberries. And so you weren't really as in touch with the world in real time on social media as we are now. And so I had to do the old fashioned thing of, you know, looking around. Uh, meeting people the old-fashioned way. You went out to places to talk to people. You, you know, I, I experienced America. I experienced particularly gay America uh, by by living it in real time and taking pictures on member digital cameras. Um, you know, so this was this was a really special thing for me. It showed so much of uh, of how how not only the other half, the, the other 99% live. Um, and it was so, I didn't realize how important that would be to my political and advocacy, advocacy career at the time to meet all these folks who would tell stories about 
where they came from and, you know, why going to the theater was an escape for them when, when we'd be out at some of these locations around the country and we'd go to a, a local gay bar in some of these towns and they said, oh, I drive 30, 40 miles to come here because I have to make sure that no one from home sees me. Uh, you know, these are stories that a lot of us take for granted when you, when you rehearse a show in New York and you open in LA and you, you know, you sort of do the safety circuit uh, that the rest of the country doesn't have it that way. And so I, I'm so grateful. And and, and, you know, constantly reminded of the power of, of the arts to move and inspire people. And, and to this day, uh, I say that, that every kid should be allowed to study the arts because whether or not they, they, they do it as a profession uh, or just have it as something that they experience in their lives, it the arts make better humans, period. Um, you cannot go into a field today without empathy. Um, you will not succeed. So learning how, you know, for me, I am a better advocate, a better mover of people because I learned long ago how to use my voice, literally how to capture your attention for two hours. And whether it was, you know, making you come with me on, on the journey of Hello, Dolly, or uh, come with me to say hello to your member of Congress, uh, I know how to capture you and take you with me. And, and you only succeed in advocacy with real stories that move people. Uh, data and white papers and all of those things are lovely to underscore your point, but no one is moved to action without a story. So well said, I agree 100% with that. And the only thing I'm gonna ask, we have a White House Correspondence Center. I want an administrative talent show and put those tap shoes on again. You know, I, there is I'll too. tell you, there's, it, the talent is there. There, I have friends and colleagues throughout the administration, on the Hill, in the Foreign Service, that all of whom are such great, talented people with unbelievable voices and dance talents and instrument talents. All this. We would have such an amazing Biden's Got Talent. Uh, it would be it would be a great See, event. I love that. That is amazing. Let's go into some of your work. I really want to talk. I mean, you've done so many great things. Ten years with the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. I'm a proud member of Plexus, the regional Cleveland Chamber of Commerce here. They do so many great things. I mean, you were able to pass more than 25 bipartisan bills at both state, local level. Talk about the importance of it. People think it's just a business club. and They yep. don't understand what the businesses do, right? It's more than just selling trinkets. There's the advocacy behind the workplace laws and what they can do in that state. Talk about the importance of that. I mean, we are uh, a, a powerful community in, in every which way. Our, our voices are strong, our stories are strong, and frankly, our dollars are strong. Um, you know, as a, the, the I think it might even be a misnomer that, that, that people hear the organization think, oh, Chamber of Commerce, like you said, it's a business club. It is a force for change through, you know, for human rights, for equity, for access through the economy. Um, you know, and if you don't think that matters, you know, remember red or blue, everybody sees green. There is no more unifying factor in, in American life and particularly in policymaking than figuring out who can benefit economically. And the LGBT community, you know, was always thought of as a, a sort of buying power force. There's a reason all of our favorite brands went rainbow in June, but there's, you know, there are 11 other months when we are just as out, just as proud and have 
just as much of that $917 billion in consumer power at our, our disposal, and we can use it to shape markets. We can you know, punish and boycott companies who don't have our best interests. We can reward the companies who do. And most importantly, we can spend them on our own community and our allies. You know, they, not all chicken nuggets taste the same. Some taste like they hate you. So why would you give those companies your money when you could probably get delicious tasting chicken nuggets from a company that's either LGBT owned, woman owned, black owned, or at least supportive of all of our causes because so much of what they do now is transparent. So we were encouraging people to think with their dollars, be champions for change with their dollars, and seek that place at the table that communities of color, that women, that veterans, and so many other diverse communities seized and used to make inroads for, for wealth and power in their communities that helped them push back against infringements in voting rights and civil rights and housing rights and all these other things by saying, uh-uh. You don't get to, you know, buy from us and put us to work and, you know, demand we be parts of your supply chains and economies and not treat us like equals. Um, you know, LGBT businesses, as we found, one of the most incredible things I ever got to work on was helping quantify the numbers. Before we released the America's LGBT economy report, no one knew just how much power we had in the economy. And it's $1.7 trillion in GDP power. And that's based on the numbers we know. So the more we can get LGBT people to come out, be proud, certify their businesses, tell us their stories, we're changing hearts and minds and, and perceptions that it's not just mom and mom and pop and pop shops, um, even though they are terrific small businesses that power local communities. They are people that make the widgets that make nuclear submarines go and everything in between. And so, you know, the, uh, America runs on minority-owned businesses, not Duncan. So uh, LGBT people are a powerful part of that. And for me, as the person who was given the, the, the incredible task and, 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 and privilege of speaking for them as, as a national spokesperson, but also as the person who shaped policy, uh, those, those LGBT economic wins all over the country, we did that in solidarity with other communities because LGBT people are women. We are people of color. We are veterans. We are immigrants. We have disabilities. You know, we are, we are, we are. There's no fight out there that isn't also an LGBTQ issue. So bringing those people together in solidarity is how we succeeded and, and how we'll continue to hold on to those wins for generations to come because we all have skin in each other's game. Well, thank you for sharing that. And so well said. It really is national. I mean, you were working people in Long Beach all the way to Pennsylvania. I mean, all over the place. I mean, you guys really do kind of move everything over. I was lucky enough. Well, one of my best friends, David. I think that's one of the most important things is, you know, that this work is not limited to L.A. and San Francisco and New York and D.C. and Atlanta, you know, and, and, and Palm Springs. We are everywhere. Just this month, I was so pleased to hear from dear friends of mine in Des Moines. They opened the Des Moines LGBT chamber. Uh, you know, there's folks opening. You've got yours in Cleveland. There's one that's opening in Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, we are everywhere. And it's important we get recognized as such because, you know, we talk a lot about equality and equity as these buzzwords now. But you know what that means? Equality is a, is a piece of paper. Equality can be ripped up. Equality is, you know, that, that law that's passed that says everyone is equal under the law. Equality under the Bostock decision by the Supreme Court says none of us can be fired from big companies because we're LGBTQ. 
But equity means making that universal to all people everywhere. If you or I get fired as cisgendered white guys in big cities, we've got resources. We've got pro bono law firms who will represent us. We've got ACLU and Lambda Legal and all of these great people. Who does the first generation immigrant trans Latina in Mississippi have to fight for her when she gets fired from her local grocery job? No one but us. So the more we can build that back power and, and help, you know, make sure all 50 states are, in fact, equitable, that's when we succeed. There's that fire. I fell in awe of, my friend. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, we got to talk about this decision to run for representative back in 2021. You were such a go-getter and out there. I don't know how. I mean, we see how screwed up realistically Congress is these days. I would think you would get bored to hell. And it's, we find, I mean, you prove that everything is, happens at the macro level, at local and state level. What made this decision to run for it? Are you kind of happy you didn't make it? Do you think you'll do it again? Talk about the reasoning behind this. I, you know, you mentioned the Out 100 article, uh, or, you know, the list this year. And, and, and one of the things that that tremendous honor did was it, it forced me to sit and take stock for a minute. You know, I'm about to turn 40 and I have covered a lot of ground in that time, but I'm just getting started. And so one of the things I thought about was, as my husband always says, you know, you've lived 10 lives and 10 careers by, by 30, let alone 40. And in thinking about, you know, the, the, that article, one of the things I said to the, the, the interviewer was, I have believed and have, have learned and lived and seen proven true that no one will fight harder for what you believe in than you. And no one will fight harder for you than you. So if you've got the conviction to do something, go do it. If you wait for a hero to show up, you'll be disappointed. So go do it yourself. Um, when, when, when you, you know, and, and for me, uh, I was in Philadelphia. We moved there for my husband's job. I was so proud of him getting to go back to his hometown, uh, and be a star on the, the network he grew up watching, um, and interning at, he got to come back and be one of their leads. And it was so incredible. And, uh, and for me, I thought, well, what do I do while I'm here? Um, I was still working for the chamber of commerce remotely. And I, I had, this desire to do even more. And I saw this city that welcomed me and embraced me to, to be a part of so many organizations and community change groups. And I thought, if there's a chance, why not? At the very least, you can raise a bunch of issues that people need to be talking about. And the seat, the state house seat I ran for was the first time it had been open in a decade. Um, and of course, that was that that in itself was exciting because that meant people were hungry for change. Uh, it was a crowded six-person primary, and I am very pleased to have come in uh, second, especially as the new guy in town against a bunch of lifers there. Um, you know, we have the, we will hold the all-time fundraising record for that district seat for a long time, um, in no small part because, you know, some of those friends we mentioned, uh, the, the Jim Abergafels, the Dennis and Judy Shepherds, the Anthony Raps, the Billy Porters, you know, they helped get the word out for me, and, and I told them all, I was like, you don't need to do this for me for a state house race in Pennsylvania. You did it for all of us. And, and that meant so much. So, you know, their support meant the world, the chance to work with so many community leaders. It was so, so special. And, and I'm not done. I mean, I think when, you know, lots of people can lose a race uh, or not be successful and, and think, well, I tried and I can pack it up. For me, I just went, well, 
what's the next door I can build and walk through? And it happened to present itself in public service in, in a different way. The executive branch called. Uh, and when the president of the United States says, we'd, we'd like you to come help, uh, you say yes. Yes, you do. And like I said, I mean, it's, it is important to run for office, as we found with school boards and everything else, especially sure. these days. Uh, I mean, every level is important. I want to emphasize that because I think you just made such an important point, Scott, and I, I'm sorry I didn't say it before. Every, you know, people have their eyes on the prize for, for, you know, the presidency and governorships and Senate races and the U.S. House. The laws that touch our daily lives happen at city councils and state legislatures and school boards and HOAs and zoning commissions. Stop letting people who don't know your experience make decisions about your life. Um, it, it, that is one of the most important things also about that, that, you know, that drove me into running for office was, you know, the previous election cycle in 2020, one of my dearest friends uh, helped me create a voter registration program uh, to help register people during the pandemic because, you know, the good old days of knocking on doors and handing out uh, leaflets and all of that and getting people to sign things you couldn't do because nobody wanted to touch your pen in a pandemic. So, you know, we started a whole program <laughs> with QR codes and, and got people to sign up. You know, if you've got time to read the menu to get the cocktail hour, uh, you know, the happy hour menu on your QR code, you can use the same technology to get registered to vote. And we got hundreds of people registered in the Philly region and then made that accessible to people to duplicate all over the country. And that just showed me, well, if we didn't do this, who else was going to? So right. that I want to remind anyone listening that's thinking about whether or not they have a, a chance to make a difference. Difference is made at scale. What, you know, how many elections out there were down to hundreds, if not tens of votes? And you galvanizing right. your community, your school board, your kids' baseball team, you know, whatever it is can make that difference. And again, it doesn't have to be for the big stuff. It could be for that little local referendum or the the zoning change that, that would allow, you know, uh, a community center to be built where you are. Whatever it might be, your voice matters. And why would you give up that gift of your voice and your say in the matter to someone else, especially if they have not lived in your, your shoes. Well said. And conversely, attend them. If you don't want to run, attend them and let your voice be said, heard that way, right? I mean, everyone has their three minutes. They can address these councils like that. And I think what you said about the voter registration and technology is so important. I use my house every year to do phone banks for the local candidates and state candidates. And those things are so out of date. It's really important that we use this technology and keep things moving because you have younger kids getting involved every year. And it's just so important to try every means necessary to get people active again. So well said. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And we've all got skin in the game. I mean, there's no issue that doesn't touch someone we love. And, you know, frankly, uh, all of those years working in, in advocacy, particularly for LGBT and minority causes, and then getting into much bigger issues, whether it's just an advocate or running for office, and now in service on healthcare and gun violence and voting rights and all of that, the most important takeaway and the thing that I have now stressed and added in, in every speech I give is 
the most important lesson I can take away from this first decade in service is it doesn't have to happen to you for you to give a damn. You don't need to be affected by the issue for you to know that you matter in fighting for or against it. I don't need a uterus to know that if you have one, you're the only one that gets to make a decision about it. I don't need to be a different skin tone to know that that should not change my ability to vote, to get a job, to get a house, or to get anything else. I shouldn't need a disability to know, you know, I don't need a disability to know that I deserve unfettered access to every space and so on and so on and so on. So, you know, you said all those things at the top and I've definitely been accused and so many advocates out there have been told, you know, why, why, why do you have to bring all those identities front and center when you talk to people? I said, because no one else did before. And when people feel seen, they feel empowered to act up. So, you know, I am a, a, I tell people all the time when I, when I take the podium, especially now that we're trying to be extra accessible and make sure people know who's speaking if they can't see them is, you know, I'm a cisgendered white guy in a suit. I'm a, you know, gay Jewish union member uh, with an invisible disability. I am all of these things, but I'm also many, you know, I, I am not many other things that I know how to fight for. Um, I am not, I joke all the time, uh, said this on the campaign trail all the time. I'm not a great dresser, but my suits have great coattails. If I'm at a table, you're at a table. Um, and I think that it's particularly, and, and I, I say this in, in a lot of the rooms I'm in now in government, which are often predominated by cisgendered white guys, is why are we the ones here talking about the future of a very diverse nation? So if it is us in the room, what issues are we going to bring up on their behalf? And then secondly, how are we going to rectify the situation and make sure much more, uh, many more communities are represented at this table next time? That's our, that is privilege. And that is using it for what it's supposed to be used for. If no one questions a guy who looks like me in a suit coming and taking a seat at the meeting. So knowing that no one would, what am I going to do with that? So well said. I love that. And like, I make a point of it every intro to talk about for our LGBTQ community and our straight allies. Yep. You don't have allies no matter uh, straight, black, white, Asian, different, whatever nationality, whatever your sexual orientation is. If you're not there for everybody, as you said, it's really no point in doing it yourself. I, mean, I look over my past episodes all the time and say, where's all this other representation that I need to bring to the table? Because I don't bring it enough. And I think we all need to kind of pay attention to that. Um, but oh, so well said. Thank you for saying that. I Absolutely. It. Well, we got to jump into your work with the Biden administration, but I don't want to skip over. I mean, this is so important. You started your own company. I mean, love its strategies. You take all of this and kind of rolled into it. You're able to take what you learned from the business world, what you learned from advocacy. What 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 did that fulfill in you to be able to kind of share that with people and be able to bring those two businesses and uh, organizations alike? I. You know, I'm the son and the grandson of small business owners. I worked with, you know, America's 1.4 million LGBTQ entrepreneurs at the Chamber of Commerce uh, and, you know, the millions more in our allied diverse communities out there over the years. And uh, entrepreneurs power America. It is, it's, it is, it, they are what has made every great innovation happen. And so um, I amassed a bunch of skills and contacts and, and best practices. And I thought I can do a lot with this. 
So how can I help as I'm figuring out sort of my next chapter, uh, leverage all the things I know and connections I can make and, and, and help as many people as possible. And so Love of Strategies just grew out of everything I had been doing professionally for years. Uh, and I just formalized it, put a shingle out and, and got it certified as a minority and LGBT owned company. Uh, and went to work for, for governments, for corporations, for nonprofits, for anyone that needed a little guidance. Um, sometimes it was as a, you know, motivational or keynote speaker. Sometimes it was doing multi-week, multi-month, you know, restructuring and strategy programs. And sometimes it was a whole lot of everything all at once. Um, but it was, it was and remains such a special part of my life to be able to, to, you know, emulate the great things I learned from my dad and from all the entrepreneurs I worked with over the, uh, over the years that, that the best thing we can do is put our skills to work to help other people. Well done, you. Exactly. And that brings us into the Biden administration. I mean, fantastic. You lead communications, public policy strategy. I mean, obviously, you're an amazing speaker. Talk about a day-to-day. -day, what different things does this job encompass for you? Anything you thought it wasn't going to encompass that all of a sudden it has? Or anything that you've brought to the table that it really needed to see that it didn't see in the planning of it? I mean, as as a lifelong fan of the West Wing, uh, to get to play, I, I joke with friends all the time that I get to do West Wing cosplay for a life, a life now. Um, I mean, it is. I I, I do. I, I do not let a a day go by where I don't look at the you know the the gold trim on the building or you know or you know, in in our entryway or the, the the symbol of the federal government on the carpets or any of the seals around me and think. I can't believe this is real and that I'm a part of this. And even on the toughest days, I think what an unbelievable joy and privilege this is to be a part of this. Um, and, and, you know, to be, to be asked by this administration, uh, which is the most diverse, the most inclusive, uh, not just for LGBT people, but the most just representative of America that I've ever seen uh, is so incredible. I'm working with the most passionate uh, creative, caring people, um, like the president, like the vice president, we lead with empathy in everything we do. Um, equity matters in everything we do and, and to be with people who value that at every level, uh, appointees, career, civil servants, you name it. It's, it's really so amazing. Um, no two days are the same, so I can't even give you that answer. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm asked all the time: is is the is life in in the administration more West Wing? Is it more Veep? Uh, and I tell people it's more Muppet Show. There's a whole lot of running around like Kermit the Frog with your hands going like this, um, because it's just every everything is important and everything is amazing, and and you know you never feel like there's enough hours in the day to help all the people you want to, but we are. Uh, and, and, and we are making such a difference, um, addressing real needs of real people. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's the greatest thing that could happen. And I really hope this is just the beginning of a very long run in, in federal service, because, uh, the ability to touch as many people as we do is, is astounding. I, I'm just floored by what we were able to accomplish. Well, thank you for all that. And thank you for your representation. I mean, you and Corrine Jean-Pierre being out there, being open, pushing for all this. I mean, I love having these role models that I can point to and say, this is what's being done and and let's celebrate that. So and that, that brings us back to Out 100. I mean, such deserved as an educator you are, my friend. I appreciate your words and your wisdom. It's just an amazing thing you do. Thank you so much. I have never been to Washington, D.C. I'm a huge political junkie. 
I have never been to Washington, D.C. I am going to come. I need you to show me around. Show me the ropes because we'll I, I can't believe I've not been. Well, so wait it, until after the winter. Because the, Ohio winter's bad enough. We'll get. We'll skip the Washington D.C. winter. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is so beautiful here, you know. And, and D.C. is full of people who care. You know, no one comes to D.C. just just for the fun of it. They come here to do something. Um, and uh, you know, wh whether it is uh, public service, nonprofits, law, the military, you name it, everyone's here to do something. Um, and it's really inspiring to be around, uh, but it's also, I mean, just such a diversity of opinions and experiences and, you know, to have all 50 states and nine territories represented in everything that you do uh, is pretty darn cool. Um, and so many walks of life and, and life experiences here. Um, it's really, it really is something very, very special. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned sort of being visible. Um, one, you know, not only is it important to me and Kareen and with Secretary Pete and others, um, but, you know, there is, there is something wonderful about seeing so much of all of America every day. Um, you know, men and women, uh, people of, of all colors and ethnicities and backgrounds and abilities are in not just the federal government, but in everything that happens here in DC. Um, and you're surrounded by it. It is, it is a reminder that, that America is what it is because we are so different. You know, as a lifelong Star Trek fan to see that infinite diversity and infinite combinations, uh, be, be very real and not just a, a Vulcan motto, uh, is, is truly wonderful. Um, and, and then to see people sort of live up to that with, with their commitment to inclusion and in everything we do. Um, and then, you know, to see that celebrated, I, a story I was thinking about wanting to tell you was a couple weeks back, a couple months back, um, President Biden signed a, a declaration, a proclamation honoring 70 years since the Lavender Scare. And we did it in the Eisenhower office building, named for the man who signed the, the executive order that would have stopped these several hundred LGBTQ appointees from being in that very room openly. Um, progress marches forward. Yeah. And to be there with people who were discharged, you know, dishonorably and, and kicked out of the military and, and, you know, told they were a security risk simply because of who they were, who they loved, to now have them come back as, as sort of honored role models in our community. That was really, really special. Um, and then, you know, just to be in, 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 in community with all of us, I mean, whether it's the White House Pride Party which I mean, which is such a celebration of joy and love and representation. And, you know, I, I, I got to speak uh, and represent the administration and talk about being out in public service at the at Andrews Air Force Base and, you know, talk to these incredible service members who told me stories of serving in and out of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, and, and the world that we're in now and, and how proud they are to be an out service member that when they go overseas and, and represent our country, they're asked by other militaries, how can we make it better here? Um, it's so inspiring and reminds us that we have got to hold on to these wins with everything we've got and, and ensure that they uh, are permanent. And part of that through storytelling. Exactly. And I have to tell you that my favorite pick of you, Jonathan, is you on the front lawn with your rainbow kicks on and the rainbow flag uh, hanging off the White House there. That's a, 
it just it encapsulates everything that you hope for your hopes and dreams as an LGBT person in this country. So I love that picture. Now the down now you gotta tell me, I have a big mouth. And you are so eloquent in everything you say. You are a representative of the United States government. I mean, and we talk, you're not just a proud LGBT, you're proud um, a Jew and everything. And talk about this, how do you keep yourself in check? I don't know if I could. Are, are you, do you have to constantly check yourself? Or are you, I mean, you're so eloquent, I'd imagine not. But how okay. do you kind of go through the rough times as a representative of the administration? You know, I... When you're representing the Biden-Harris administration or the Department of Commerce or anyone, you know, when I'm in my professional hat and suit, um, you remember why we're there, which is, you know, we serve all Americans, not just the ones that necessarily voted for the president or the vice president, um, but we also serve them from a specific moral compass. We know what is right is clear. What is, you know, the, the platform and stance of our administration is clear. And so... It's easy to speak and represent those values because I share them. Um, and, and as do the colleagues I work with, uh, the, the, the goodness, the belief in equality, the belief in one another, um, the belief in, in a stronger united America. That doesn't change the fact that we're all also real people. Um, and, you know, we have personal lives and personal social media accounts, which come under attack all the time. Um, but the, you know, the world's issues, particularly America's issues, were not solved uh, in Twitter discourse. They were solved by policymaking. So uh, nine out of 10 times, you can let the bully scream uh, and just ignore them and they'll burn out. Um, mute and block should be everyone's friend, especially on your personal accounts. Um, and, and, and just right. remember, you know, the, the often the loudest voices come from the cheapest seats. Um, and I was always driven by the, the, the maxim that you will never hear uh, criticism from people doing more than you, only people doing less. So just by being out there and knowing whatever it is you're doing in your neck of the woods at, at whatever macro, micro level to, to make the world a better place is plenty um, because you're just doing when other people are screaming. It is easy and safe to scream behind a keyboard. Uh, it takes actual courage to get out there in the arena and do something. Perfectly said, and that wraps the interview up perfectly with my very last question. We've touched on it in a couple levels, but I do want to talk about how can any individual, especially LGBTQ community, actively contribute to shaping and uh, kind of policies, both at local and national level. We've talked about going to the school board, going to those things. What other things have you found, any points that you would like to leave uh, before we wrap things up here, of how people can actually get involved and maybe make a change in their community, no matter what their community happens to be. It has never been easier to leverage the power of technology and information out there to find a place to put your passion. Um, and whether it is phone banking from your living room table, uh, to marching in the streets, to running for office, to getting named to the school board, or anything in between, um, the one thing we can't do is sit out the fights. Um, there is a, a great sort of maxim or, or, or uh, belief in, in Judaism that is uh, no one is expected to complete the work, but no one's free to not do it. So, Very. and especially LGBTQ people uh, and communities who have been under attack, um, we are 
even even in our darkest day, we are better now than we were before. And we stand on the shoulders of those who fought those fights and many cases died for these our fights. Uh, we owe it to them to continue them forward. So whether it is simply telling your story and living out loud and, and you know, being that that, uh, you know, candle that that lights a darkness and then tips into somebody else's and spreads it along. That's one thing. Or whether you, you know, I, I tell when I do corporate trainings all the time uh, and people ask about, you know, how involved is, is involved enough. I said, look, when your company's marching in the parade, whether you're the person holding the banner in the front doing the high kicks or the person in the back just watching, marching along and waving, it doesn't matter. You showed up and that's the win. So show up. Be in service to yourself, to your community, to your be an ally to those who need you. Um, you know, as I was saying before, look left and look right when you're in a room and think who's not here and who you can be a voice for. Um, and particularly those of us with the privilege and power to have microphones and cameras in front of us, um, whose name can we say in those rooms so that they get the spotlight they need so that they can become uh, the next voice that's called out? So all I can say is, be involved, whatever that means to you. Um, but uh, as I said earlier, no one will fight harder for the change you want to see than you will. So get involved. There you go. Jonathan Levitz, it's been worth every day of these eight years to come to this moment and have your words, your wisdom, and that killer smile, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for all you do to tell all of our stories. Uh, keep up the great work, and we'll see you in D.C. Uh, you got it, my friend. Let everyone know, finish off. Is there any place, uh, any website they might want to go to to either follow you or follow a particular cause in Washington? And if they want to follow you as well, if you have a personal, um, maybe um, social yeah, media you uh, like. My, 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 my uh, social medias across the board are at JD Lovitz. Um, stay in touch with me, email me, text me, DM me, or, uh, you know, carrier pigeon me. Um, I, I get asked a lot this question about, you know, where do I get involved? How do I, I, I love pointing people to resources. Um, let me know what I can do to help. And, and I'm happy to help amplify what I can for, for everyone out there. Um, this is, this is what we do for each other, especially as our community. This is, this is what sustains us is this commitment to one another. So get so reach out to me, Jamie Lovitz. I can't wait to hear from you. You got it, my friend. We will do it. Stay on the line for me, guys. Check out the latest issue about magazine. Besides Jonathan, there's uh, 99 plus other great profiles of amazing LGBTQ artists, educators, innovators, disruptors that have made a difference in our community, and you can do it as well. You have the power, my friends. I appreciate you coming along on our journey. We're going to have a special five questions with Jonathan next week. Be sure to look for that. And as always, thanks for listening to Left to Straight, Joe. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.